0: Father, I ask that your words fill my words and and correct them as they go to these people's ears so that you can write your word in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who are worrying that a sermon from me entitled Surrender All is about stewardship, it's fair. You should be worried. But we're kind of experimenting with a schedule this year. Today's not about stewardship, so if you're expecting stewardship, you will be disappointed or maybe relieved, you can relax, still give, but relax. Uh, In the meantime, in the last few weeks in various settings, I've heard a focus on truth. In passing conversation, one person told another, I want you to love me enough to tell me the truth. And in the course of that conversation, the speaker even repeated it because it struck me as significant and that person repeated it and paused, so I'm gonna do the same. I want you to love me enough to tell me the truth." Within a couple days, in an entirely unrelated conversation, another person said something similar to the effect of, the highest expression of love is truth. Again, the highest expression of love is truth. Some pretty deep stuff from friends here in Spicewood, I think. Uh, And especially when I'm looking for discernment for a sermon topic, you know, I don't believe in coincidence. I do believe in divine hints. So I went through the Bible looking for passages around truth, and there were tons of them. Uh, But then it took me to one, John 14, 6, one of the many that I had to memorize back in the days that you had to memorize a great deal of things to get through confirmation. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. In this part of Jesus' ministry, it was almost time for him to go to Jerusalem to be arrested, convicted, and basically murdered um, so that he might fulfill his divine appointment to conquer death and save us from our sins. He did this so that one day we, too, may join him in doing his works and joining him with the Father in his kingdom. He is preparing his disciples for his leaving. This next part isn't in NIV or CEB. This is an E.S. Elizabeth slang. So hold on. He said, don't worry about me when you can't find me. I'm going to my daddy's house. His house is big enough for all y'all, there are many rooms there. Everybody's got a room. Everybody's welcome. I'm going to get your room ready. I'll come, in, I'll come back and get you, but you know how to get there. And Thomas, doubtful Thomas, responding in true form, says, what? We don't know how to get there. We don't know where you're going. How can we know how to get there? Um, can you drop me your Addy so I can put it in my phone? Can you give me your address so I can punch it in? Because we don't know where you're going. And then Jesus says, back to the real words, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. And there was some back and forth in the conversations, and the disciples ended up saying, what? (laughs) That's about what they said. And so what does this mean? I'm going to break it down from my perspective, uh, what it means, piece by piece. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus is the way to salvation. He conquered death so that we may be saved so that we don't have to experience the penalties of our sins early christianity was called the way jesus is the way we are saved by grace through faith in jesus jesus is the way to salvation this one's pretty easy for me to understand jesus is a way follow jesus got it okay then i'm going out of order Because next in my story, Jesus says, I am the life. Before Jesus, there was only the law. And to achieve eternal life in the kingdom of heaven, you had to perfectly perform. And most of us, well, all of us except Jesus, are really not able to do that. We're sinners, but God loves us. He sent Jesus to conquer death for us. He is the giver of eternal life, again, saved by God's grace because he loved us through faith in Jesus who conquered death for us. Got it. Now this one, Jesus is truth. You know, I started going around with the, the, the Jesus is the word and then the, go back to Genesis and the word is in the beginning and all of that's good stuff, but that was not the path. I didn't feel called to stay on that path right now. It does tell us that Jesus is the truth and Jesus is uh, has been there since the beginning, and he's part of the triune God of the Methodist tradition. But we often hear that Jesus is the Word of God incarnate, or come in the form of man, in the form of flesh, because he is from John 1:14, and the Word of flesh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word of God. He came down to earth. And as the word of God, he fulfilled the law. He had no sin. He fulfilled the laws by obeying them. He also fulfilled the word of the prophets, the one being sent for us. He gave his life for us. He is the source of all truth. He loved us all enough to not just tell us the truth, but to be the truth for us. He is simultaneously the law, the prophecy, and the salvation all embodied in one being. The highest form of love for him was to be the truth for us, to fulfill the law, not to make it go away, but to perfectly fulfill it and to save us from our sinful nature. Jesus didn't tell us that it was okay to ignore the law, but rather, he took on the punishment for our sins and told us to go and sin no more. In fact, he told us more than that. And as we continue in today's reading, in verse 12, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. That means that Jesus, as the truth, surrendered all for all of us. That we could sin no more. That we could continue his work spreading his way, truth, and life to others. So how do you do that? First, you have to figure out what you haven't surrendered. For each of us, that is different. Some of us know we're holding things back, and we wrestle with that every day. And others of us have no idea what we're holding on to as we're living in that space, and we can't see what is going on. C.S. Lewis is a Christian author who wrote many books, one being The Great Divorce said, The Great Divorce. So if you haven't thought of this, buy a copy of The Great Divorce, leave it around your house where your spouse can see it. It changes their behavior, but that's not what this sermon's about, and that's not what the book's about. Hashtag follow me for more relationship tips, yes. The book is not about marital divorce. In the book, the main character is taking a bus trip. And he's taking his bus trip to the final vacation destination. And in um, at, at this book, there's a bus stop called Graytown. And Graytown started off just as a bus stop. You can get off at the bus stop and stretch your legs, and you can leave Graytown at any time. There are constantly buses coming to Graytown and leaving from Graytown. The buses are full of people when they come to the bus stop, but they're virtually empty when they leave Greytown. Only a few people actually ever leave. Greytown itself is growing and growing. It's become not a bus stop, not a sign, where you can get off and stretch your legs with a bench maybe, but now it's a major sprawling metropolitan area with permanent housing being built. The people coming into Greytown are almost see-through, a shadow of themselves. The longer they stay in Graytown, the dimmer and dimmer and more transparent they become. Some eventually fade away and disappear entirely. Contrarily, there are other people who get off at Graytown, are able to make peace with whatever it is they're struggling with, and they get back on a bus and go on to the rest of their trip, leaving Greytown behind and going to their final heavenly destination. And there are many people in Graytown all dealing with something, and I'll highlight just a few. The first is a lady. She's wandering around crying, to anyone who'll listen, about the son she lost. She knows he's gone, but she's hoping to find him in Graytown. She refuses to let go of her son. She's hoping to find him, uh, to be freed from the mourning for him, but she won't get back on the bus to continue her journey. She's trapped in the moment where she lost her son. Instead of working through the loss and looking forward, she lets it define who she is and she lets her imprison herself in that moment. She wants to see her son again more than anything and she puts it ahead of everything else. It becomes her idol. If she could have accepted the loss and processed what she needed to do for moving forward, she could have gotten on the bus to Graytown, to leave Graytown and to go on to the rest of her trip where she would be united with her son forever in heavenly glory. And as we see this character's story unfold, she becomes more and more see-through and slowly fades. And this woman could be any of us, anyone who loves someone or who has lost something or has been hurt in any way, where we feel like no one understands us or our pain, no one loves us, no one cares for what we think or our perspective or what we do. Any of us could be stuck in that hurt space at any time. What hurt do you have that you haven't shed? What pain do you have that you hold on to that prevents you from getting back on the bus? What is it that you won't surrender to Jesus? He can take it. What are you holding on to? The second character we meet in Greytown is a man who is very impressed with himself. He was very smart, very well read. He was a member of several professional organizations. He made sure that people understood why his word was more meaningful than others. He was an expert. He was well-respected. He was successful. He didn't sin. He didn't have any vices. He chose to believe in God, but he didn't really need God. God wanted people like him on his team those poor sinners who are wrong and don't deserve the life that he worked so hard to create. He had many succ- signs of success in his life, all of the things that people aspire to have. As we watch this character develop, he also grows dimmer and dimmer, slowly fading away as he, as he wants to say, seems that he wants to stay in Greytown to relive uh, his glory, to hang on to the things that he has, that he cherishes, rather than Going on to the rest of his journey. This man could also be any of us. Any of us who are proud of what we've accomplished. Anyone who needs to be valued for what they bring to the table. Anyone who elevates themselves over others because of any reason. I'm hardworking. I'm rule following. I'm more generous. I'm more caring for other people. I'm more open. I'm a better servant. Any of these are currencies to our egos. What are those things that you have that you hold dear? Is it your money? Your house? Your family? Your vacations? Your certifications? Your holiness? Your lovingness? What is it that you won't surrender to Jesus? Jesus? Again, he can take it. What are you holding on to? The third character we meet in Greytown lived a wretched life. He was a sinner. He killed people. He suffered no real loss. He had no real success, just a wicked little person living a wicked little life. We learn precious little about this character compared to the other two because he's different. He has one thing they do not. He knows the truth and the truth set him free. We don't learn much about him compared to the others because he isn't focused on himself and he isn't focused on the past. He accepts forgiveness and he goes forward in love and loving conversations with other people in the book. In short order, he becomes solid a full person again, and he gets on the bus and he leaves Greytown. The third character knew the truth and the truth set him free from John eight thirty two. Do you know the truth? Do you allow it to set you free? This book's a work of fiction, but it was eye-opening to me because I could see parts of myself in each of these characters. The one that convicted me the most, of course, was the man who was clearly full of himself and judged others. I know y'all might not know this. I'm a little full of myself sometimes. Shh. Sometimes I think I'm pretty smart. I even think I'm smarter than at least one of you, but I don't see him here in this service. (laughs) Quit. I told him not to look at me. (laughs) I was, it was really a shock to me because I could relate to that character so well, and he was obviously getting in the way of his own salvation. He was getting in the way of his salvation. It's less so now a relation to me because I try to surrender it to Jesus and I pray about it a lot. And at the time I read the book, I hadn't really lost anybody important. Uh, the character was there and, and I saw that, but, but I hadn't, I couldn't, I couldn't relate but a couple of years ago, I lost my father. He went from healthy to gone in eight months in a very cruel way that I never could have imagined. And I'm here to tell you, it's still fresh and I could wallow in that pain every day, like the woman in the book. But unlike the woman in the book, I surrender it to Jesus, and I pray about it. And of course I relate to the criminal. (laughs) I haven't murdered anyone, at least not that I'm willing to confess in front of you here today. I'm kidding. I've never murdered anybody physically. Um, But I am a sinner. I miss the mark every day. And I could choose to listen to the voice of this world that says I need to wallow in that guilt and shame for the rest of my life. Or I could choose to accept the truth. And I choose the truth, that Jesus surrendered himself to pay the price, to pay my fine, that I may be freed to live in him. Like that character in the book, I'm not staying in Greytown. There may have been more characters in this book. It's been a while since I read it. And I may have some of the details wrong on how I remember the characters. And if you think they're about you, I can't answer that. They're about me. (laughs) Um, They're definitely a projection of me at various stages of almost every single day. And the book helped me see what I was holding on to, what what attachments I had, uh, what my idols were. And then I could pray about it and surrender it to Jesus. So that he could set me free to do his works in him for his glory. Honestly, the hardest part, at least for me, is step one, accepting what it is that we have to surrender. Once I'm able to accept that, step two, surrendering it truly, relying on Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life is so much easier. This is done by conversations with God through prayer, scripture reading, fellowship with fellow Christians, living into your divine appointment, it takes practice. You can't just expect it to come. You have to do the legwork. You have to walk the walk and do what you're supposed to do and talk to God about it daily, where it went wrong, where it went right, where he wants you going forward. Make him your best friend and listen for what he tells you. The process of surrendering it all like Jesus did is multi-step for most of us. If not, we'd already kind of have wings and be glowing that spiritual glow. Um, But step three, stealing from shampoo makers and our own Doug Howell, (laughs) repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. Identify what you need to, to surrender. Surrender it and do it again as new things come up. Back to what started this journey for me, overhearing the statements, I want you to love me enough to tell me the truth. And the truth is the highest expression of love I think these are more powerful in light of this definition of biblical truth I want you to love me enough to tell me the truth to tell me about Jesus tell me your struggles and I can tell you mine and we can surrender it all to Jesus together and walk in truth together our highest expression of love We'll be walking this truth together, living into our divine callings, which, as Jesus said, is to do even greater things than we've ever done before, to change the world together. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the, the little ways you give us hints and then the big corrections that you make. We ask that you continue to to mold us, to help us surrender to you so that we can live in your glory, so that we can do those things that you call us to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.